Hey everybody, welcome to week five of Stat Chasing. We now have four weeks of data on the NFL season so far, so it's enough to draw some interesting conclusions about what we've seen. Um, so yeah, excited to break it down with all of you today. Drico, how was your week four uh, for fantasy? Week four, just a brutal, brutal disappointment. Absolutely <laughs> smashed in everything. I won a, I won my home league though, so that's all that matters, right? Yeah. We did out Monday night, the last Cooper Cup, uh, twenty yard catch and then nine yard catch, uh, just clawed it right at the end. There is something about that home league that you know you're paying like fifty dollars for for the league, but something about it still feels sweeter than than the right. Uh, we lost in the main, but I won my home league. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you got to take. I mean, week four was was a time to uh, celebrate small victories because I did not have a lot of big ones as well. It was it was a tough week. Uh, one of those weeks where you look at red zone and it's showing the top scores at each position, and it's just you know just random players that you don't have on any of your teams. So but, but it was that redacted, type of week for me. <laughs> my redacted is doing redacted. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, cool. Well. Without further ado, why don't we just uh, dive into um, quarterbacks for this week? So good to me. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so for for folks familiar uh, with stat chasing, um, you'll be familiar with this chart. For anybody who may be new to the program, we're going to go through position by position and look at uh, some of the most important stats uh, to predict future success at each position. So. We start here with quarterback. What we're looking at on this chart here, for those following along on YouTube, we have TD rate here on the y-axis and then adjusted yards per attempt on the x-axis. And what adjusted yards per attempt is, is yards per attempt, but adjusted for touchdowns and interceptions. So players who throw a lot of interceptions will be um, will be punished uh, punished exactly and folks who, who throw a lot of touchdowns will will spike in that metric so Drica, we, we now have four weeks of data on on these quarterbacks i think we see a couple familiar faces at the top of mahomes and lamar that we've talked on but do any any names jump out you know out here you know if i was to tell you you know before week one that x player was showing up at the top right hand side of this chart maybe talk about a player sort of surprising uh so far um so yeah i think that's a really important approach because uh, you look at uh, the underdog resurrection adp and there's two quarterbacks uh, lamar jackson and josh allen in the first round um so you really do have to uh you you, you have to try and get some value um I I don't think there's any any uh, secret as to who the most surprising quarterback in the top round corner, and it's, it's Geno Smith. Uh, he's got the uh, he's got the rushing yards, he's got some touchdown efficiency, and uh, he's been scoring points as well. Um, yeah, I I think Geno is. Let's talk about Geno for a little bit. I know there's some interest on the uh, ship chasing Discord to discuss that as well. So to give some context on how the market views him, he's still sitting with an ADP of 165 in the best ball resurrection. So I think I, I've been I've been watching the trends of these. I think that 165 is going right up. Yeah. Like probably not not up to where Chua was getting to, but it 
he's not going to sit around for 165 for very long i don't think i don't i don't think so either uh i, I think that this adp moves around quite rapidly i think because there's not a huge volume of drafts going on I, I think he will move up i think you know if if we're just talking about that price right there i think that's a solid value not necessarily because i think gino is some amazing quarterback or anything like that but i do think this offense is very predictable from a pass catcher perspective so i think you can get both the seattle wide receivers at a decent discount right now and if you stack them with geno smith you know if geno has a big game it's going to go to dk metcalf at an adp of around 60 right now and then tyler lockett an adp of around 85 so dk's dropped a little bit from his preseason adp lockett's up a little bit but i think both those prices uh compared to the wide receivers in, the, in that range are are pretty solid so i like you know if you if gino stays somewhere in that range i like that stack just because of the predictable nature of it and again it also looks like a team with a bad defense that could get in some in some shootout well, games so on, on top of that the the reasons that i like it uh so the seattle now they actually have a positive uh pass rate over expectation um it's not very high but it's it is still positive Mm-hmm. And um, there's like it's Geno Smith, but there's also there also is reasons to believe uh, that they're going to be somewhat efficient. Like they do have that. That is actually a really strong uh, pass catching group of DK yeah. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and uh, Noah Fant. Even Will Disley has been like playing well. Um, and then you you add in the uh, the rushing upside. Do you think that uh? Perhaps uh, Geno Smith might be what we wanted uh, Marcus Mariota to be. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I, I was definitely more on Mariota even after the first couple of weeks. Uh, but man, Atlanta—it's tough for me with Atlanta because I think on the one hand you could see the first four weeks and see a steady decline in Atlanta's pass attempts and say, "Hey." They see Mar- what Marietta is doing out there when he's throwing the ball. They want to hide him more. They want to continue to make that offense more run heavy to sort of hide him. But also they've just been in these weird games where they've been able to uh, keep leads against teams like Cleveland and the Saints and sort of these weird game scripts where I think at some point they're not going to be able to do that. I don't think Atlanta's that good of a team. They're sitting at two and two right now. I think that's far above their expectations. So I do think Atlanta is going to be forced to throw a little bit more and Mariota can have more of a spike week profile. But so far, it's just been kind of like these ugly sort of floor games for Mariota where you're not really seeing uh, seeing a lot of upside there. So if I was to pick, I guess to more directly answer your question, if I was to pick right now, like assuming they're, they're pretty similar priced, I would probably go Gino over Mariota. I think he has slightly more job security than Mariota. And he's just frankly, he's playing a lot, a lot better right now. So, yeah, are you on that page there? Are you are you Gino over Mariota if it was sort of similar price? Yeah, uh, I yeah uh, I think so too. Yeah, uh, you, you don't really have risk of him uh, losing his job. And they're also, I mean, they're they're two and two, so it's not like they've been piling up these losses. Um, which. Yeah. Is something that would uh, encourage a coach to, to rethink things. Um, they obviously had that really high scoring victory against 
admittedly a bad Alliance defense, and that should help. Yeah, but yeah, I I, I do think that there probably is some um, regression. Like it, it, that kind of efficiency is probably hard to uh, expect for the rest of the year, but I do think like positive pass rate over expectation, strong weapons, and I guess a new seemingly woke Pete Carroll. Uh, <laughs> like th- those it are is, those are reasons yeah. to expect good offense. Like yeah. they're doing the fundamental stuff that 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 wins games and scores points. They're 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 doing that. So that that is something where I I, I do feel uh, compelled to uh, push my priors a good bit on Geno Smith. Yeah. It is a funny troll job from Pete Carroll to when he finally uh, gets rid of Russ Wilson. They Seattle finally has a positive pass rate over expected, and, and now Denver you're seeing has a uh, pretty negative pass rate over expected. So uh, the let let Russ cook thing. Uh, it's just a funny funny way to, for that for that to have turned out. Uh, another thing, Drew, I wanted to talk about. We I think we talked about Hertz a little bit last week in the context of he has this incredible adjusted net yards per attempt. And if you just look at yards per attempt, just the basic unadjusted metric, Hertz is leading the league there as well. So, and, and again, the, the thing that's interesting about that to me on this chart, you see is that he has one of the lower TD rates in the entire league. And I think part of that is that at, at first, like you can say, oh, he has a ton of upside. Then you remember, okay, part of the reason he has such a low TD rate is because that's a passing TD rate, and Jalen Hurts has a handful of rushing touchdowns on the year. So when they get in close, he's rushing them in instead of throwing it, uh, throwing them in. Mm-hmm. I do think, though, at the same time, the way I interpret that is there's upside for the Eagles' pass catchers, not necessarily upside for Hurts because passing touchdown, rushing touchdown. If you trade those out, that's not much of a difference. He actually might lose some points. Right, it's, neg- more it's, in a neg- zone. it's a negative, right? But for the receivers, um, I think AJ Brown only has one touchdown on the year. I believe Devonta and Goddard only have one or two. I'm shooting from the hip here a little bit, but they they all have pretty low touchdown totals, and I think that's hiding a bit of their upside, especially with AJ Brown. And we'll talk about him more when we get the wide receivers. But I think just the fact that Hurts is such a low passing TD rate, I think that is due for positive regression, and that's going to help out Devonta, AJ Brown, and Goddard uh, quite a bit. So, I I did the maths. I just so he, he there there is a lot of to do that to, to that. So he does have four rushing touchdowns on the year. However, he also only has four passing touchdowns. So yeah. even if you even if you add that together, uh, that gives him like a six and a half percent uh, touchdown rate. Like that's still lower than like. And now this is obviously yeah. Uh, a little bit misleading, but Bailey Zappi, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's lower than Jared Goff, uh, and it's lower than um, Lamar Jackson. All of who he, he does have the higher, uh, uh, even even without a, even with the lower touchdown, he still has the higher adjusted yards per attempt, and much higher yards per attempt. So. I think I think that's true that the uh, that some some of the reason is the is the lower uh, um uh, of the some of the reason for the lower touchdown rate is that he runs him in but 
he could still also add on additional passing touchdowns, which is kind of nuts. Now, I, yeah. I, I, I'm I acting like I knew this all along. I literally just did the maths on that. I thought that was a great point. And yeah. No, just to add on that a little bit, like Kenneth Gainwell has two rushing touchdowns on only 15 attempts all year. Boston Scott has one touchdown on just 10 attempts all year. So I think those are a bit <laughs> – those rates are a bit fluky. I think Sanders, three touchdowns and 72 attempts. We can expect that more or less to stick. That sounds about right. But some of these fluky Gainwell and Boston Scott touchdowns that have happened, uh, I think easily, you know, if A.J. Brown doesn't get tackled at the five or the two-yard line on some of these plays, we could see Hurts having even – even bigger, uh, even bigger upside there. So I think that's that's interesting as a guy who is already flashing this sort of incredible quarterback ceiling. That there's still, I think, some room to grow. There. There's still meat on the bone. Yep. Um. So one, I think we we talked about this a little bit. Um. So I know uh, to to make this chart readable, we have to to limit it to one quarterback per team. But I do see uh, Tua Tagovailoa has an ADP of ninety six, and this the scoring in this doesn't start until week six, and he is in the concussion protocol, and 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 that really, obviously really unfortunate. Um, yeah, I think given 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 the overall landscape of uh, of quarterbacks being so expensive. Even if he doesn't play, let's say week six, I think that's a lot of cushion. Um, given how well he's played, and like it's interesting here that you can see that Teddy B hasn't played, Teddy Bridgewater hasn't played nearly as well. So there is, there I think there's there's evidence here that there is a pretty good uh, skill component for Tua. Um, yep, I, I I think that's a pretty still a pretty good value there yeah i agree i'm guessing some of that is just fear that there's a longer right absence with the second concussion and we'll get more information on that but with we've talked about this a little bit the prices you have to pay on the quarterbacks in the resurrection right now is insane you have lamar jackson going at pick nine you have josh allen going at pick 10 jalen hurts at pick 15 patrick mahomes at pick 20 and even someone like Joe Burrow, who hasn't started off the season hot, he's going at pick 50. So I think with all this uncertainty at the other positions, it's really driving the elite quarterbacks and even sort of like the mid-tier quarterbacks up quite aggressively. So I think this two discussion is with that framing in mind that to take down the best ball resurrection, I think it's really important to think about some of these mid-tier quarterback values because – the opportunity cost with Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts. It's not like it was in the summer where you could got you could hammer those I guys. I mean, QB four, I picked twenty. Yeah, like that's. I mean, that's that's obviously not as expensive as like a, a superflex ADP. Not nearly as expensive, but it's a lot closer to that than a single QB price. Yeah, and I thought that the elite quarterbacks were, as a whole, underpriced this this offseason. Besides. Besides Josh Allen, maybe I thought it was like such an easy click to go with Hertz, Lamar, Kyler at like the fifties yeah. and sixties. So it's really I did one of these drafts this afternoon. It's really making me rethink my whole draft strategy because it was so just geared towards elite quarterback this offseason. And now I'm like, hmm, I gotta get a little more creative with the Tua's, the Trevor Lawrence's, you know, even the underperforming veterans like Stafford, Rogers, Carr, 
Um, can some of these guys still hit a ceiling that we haven't seen yet this season uh, and, and pay off at much cheaper prices? And I, I think generally that's going to be my approach. I'm looking in that tier more so than paying a first round price for Josh Allen or, you know, Jalen Hurts. Um, so continuing that uh, that team of like just trying to find guys who can be good where you don't have to break the bank. Um, how much weight do you put on the fact that uh, Jared Goff still played really, really well. Like he won people tournaments uh, last week, despite missing like several of his best players who should come back at some point. And then they also have Jameson Williams like waiting in the wing, and he's going to take that deep threat role. And like he's is an absolute stud. Yeah, I'm. So yeah, if you listen to the show last week, we we were hyping up off i think at pick 140 he's now something around there he's now at pick 110 ish i'm still i think pretty in on that price i think just as you made a great point Drico, the fact that he's still smashed without some of his best weapons out and there's potential for his weapons to get even better with jameson williams back i think it's just a really good system for golf right now with some pretty solid depth a good mix of depth and star players in that offense that they've shown to be pretty resilient to energy uh, injuries to one or two guys. So, you know, that defense is going to be really bad. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to throw, you know, be aggressive on fourth downs. They're going to have a high, relatively high pass rate over expectation. I am still completely fine with Jared Goff in the one tens. And I think, you know, with Goff too, another positive thing that we maybe forgot is, He's kind of shown this before with um, some of his years on the Rams where, you know, I'm kind of shooting from the hip here a little bit, but he was, you know, a top 10 quarterback in redraft. Uh, that's how the market valued him when he had a good system and a good set of weapons there. And I think we're kind of seeing it again with him. He's had a couple down years on some bad teams. And now in this good system, um, he's shown he's able to perform. And I don't see any reason to shy away from him at pick in the, you know, in the one tens where he's going right now. <clears throat> so um just just um to kind of illustrate some of the impact of their bad defense so their situation neutral um um uh pace so they're they're playing at 29 uh 29 seconds per snap in situation neutral but uh when they are when they're trailing they are at 25 seconds a snap so like mm-hmm. That's four snaps. That's four seconds a snap over like a full game. Like, I don't know how many extra plays that is, but it's a, it's a lot of extra plays. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I misspoke. They're actually, they, their pass rate over expected is actually uh, slightly negative. So they're, they're pretty neutral in terms of pass rate over expected. So it really is more game script driven. But I, right. again, I, you know, I don't see their defense getting better. And it's not like they're getting torn up by elite offenses. They're getting torn mm-hmm. up by Geno Smith, you know, the likes the likes of that. Who maybe who maybe is elite now. I don't know. But, you know, it's not like they played the Chiefs and the Bills and all these amazing teams every week. They're kind of getting chewed up by what we think of as league average or worse offenses. Trico, last, last quick hit I wanted to say in quarterback, I think – if we're if we're again have the best ball resurrection focus, I think Jimmy G is a pretty clear value if you're looking in the quarterback twos. 
he's priced at pick 167 right now and again it's it's not like if i was talking one quarterback i'm not excited about jimmy g but i think on teams where you wait for your quarterback one and need to go for three quarterbacks i think jimmy g is a really good value he has a ton of pass catchers that can bail him out we saw it with debo uh last night or whenever that game was where debo can take a slant 70 yards to the house we know kittle can do insane things after the catch iu can make crazy plays going deep so if sf gets in a game script where they're forced to throw a little bit more i just think the pass catchers give jimmy pretty solid upside there and he also has no risk of losing his job which i think some of the other guys in that range mariota uh wentz even has some risk there and then you have guys like Jameis was a broken back um Tannehill with with Mill uh Willis somebody I do like in that range is Kenny yeah. yep and so if you look just to start with the bad if you look at his adjusted uh yards per attempt he actually because he threw the three interceptions on on 13 attempts he actually has a negative uh adjusted yards per attempt which, <laughs> yeah, I had to eliminate him from this chart because he, he was so far off to the left. That, yeah, I, like, I remember looking, like, where is yeah, he? Yeah. <laughs> but that's um, a fluke. I if you look at it on a straight yard per attempt, um, he does have 9.2 yards per attempt, which, I mean, he's strong aggressively, right? He also, he had the, he had the rushing touchdowns. He had 15 yards rushing, which is not great, but it, it adds something. And they do they do have pretty strong weapons and their defense is absolutely terrible so i think he he could be someone where you are probably going to get like some uh not strong days um just because how the, the the team is bad but you do have aggressive play you have um you have rushing and you have probably favorable game script and and some pretty strong weapons yeah and i think all the weapons are pretty underpriced right now so we'll get into that later uh i'm, I'm with you there on picket so let's move on to the running backs that was a solid breakdown of the quarterback position again here just for folks listening or folks maybe unfamiliar with the chart we're looking at running back expected fantasy points and efficiency so on this graph here we see receiving expected fantasy points on the y-axis, rushing on the x-axis. You sort of add those two, two together and you get an idea of the running back's overall expected workload in terms of expected fantasy points. The size of the dots here is fantasy points over or under expected. So the guys with the larger dots are outperforming their expected fantasy points workload. The guys with the smaller dots or dots you can't even see, like Joe Mixon, are underperforming their expected workload. So, Draco, I think we can't, I think we have to start off this chart by talking about Joe Mixon. He's maybe one of the most confounding players this season at fantasy. Just an insane workload, but some of the worst efficiency I've seen over a four game stretch with that type of workload. What like, are you making of the situation? Small. You ever watch Community, where it's like the, the <laughs> meme that came out for the the, the Asian guy that he's like, "That's me." <laughs> yeah. I'm the Joe Mixon dot. 
Yeah, and it's you, you need a magnifying glass to see Joe Mixon on this chart. But he's he's literally he's breaking the chart in two ways. He's breaking it in that he's got so many more expected fantasy points than anybody else. But he's also breaking it in the fact that like the efficiency is so bad that it makes every other back look like great by comparison. Like it it's it skews the entire chart in two ways. So I, I don't know. I'm a little. Do you have a Joe Mixon take? I, I have some thoughts, but I'm curious. Like how how are you treating this? Maybe from a best ball resurrection lens, how do you treat a guy with the best workload in the league, but terrible efficiency going at the end of the second round in drafts? Um, I I mean I don't think my answer has changed too much from last week, in that the high expected points is being driven just by total overall play volume. Okay. Um, yeah. Which itself is being driven by not good not good efficiency. Uh, and I mean, we generally think of running back expected point or fantasy points over expected as kind of a volatile stat. Um, but he, he obviously he is underachieving on the touchdown front, but he's also underachieving uh, on the um, on the watch call it on the running on the rushing yards over expected. And yeah. I, 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 I don't know that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm a it's little tough. bit. How, how do you trust that? Up? Or how, how do you, uh, how do you play that? That that's yeah, I, I'm not interested. I want good players. Yeah. The thing for me is that I don't love Joe Mixon, the talent, but I do think he's quite a bit better than what he's shown in these first four weeks. You know, last year he wasn't incredibly efficient or smashing his expectation uh, in terms of sort of a per per touch basis or, you know, yards per route run basis. But he was scoring a ton of touchdowns and that saved him. And I think for me, it's just, you know, at an ADP at the back end of the second round, running back is just so incredibly thin right now that I do think he has the workload and I'd still think the Cincinnati Cincinnati offense can be good that I think I want to take some stabs at that price because I think he can still he still has the three touchdown game in his range of outcomes this volume that he's shown right now I think he now has sort of like the six seven catch game in his range of outcomes but it's it's more going to be compiling than efficiency, which is why, like, you know, if he was going in the first round, I would be out. But I think in that in that range, when a lot of the elite wide receivers are gone, I'm willing to sort of plug my nose and and draft a little bit of Joe Mixon at that price. I think he can't be, you know, I totally agree with your point that a lot of this workload is propped up by the fact they've run so many plays. But even if you if you take that out, like, and we flip forward a couple charts, he's still got like the fifth best role, sort of, in the in the NFL uh, in terms of percent of his team snaps where he's getting a rush or a pass route. So I think there's some stickiness there where even if the plays regress, his role, you know, he's being drafted at what, like the RB ten or something? Eh, no, uh, RB seven. Yeah, I, I I think that's that's still like a slight slight value 
um compared to his role in some regression and efficiency but i i can see your side of things like it's it's not a it's not a pick that feels fun at all <laughs> so um my uh the reason that, that i would disagree uh so obviously i get i i get the, the take on why like i'm not a fan of him as a player um but when somebody has played that poorly um I even though the position itself has struggled as a whole, it's like I still I I still approach fantasy football in that like I'm I'm trying to get the most talented roster that I can, and uh, I don't think I can take him over Jalen Waddle, T Higgins, Swift, uh, even though Swift does have the injury. Um, he's going right alongside Debo Samuel. I, I yeah, if, yeah. If, you're, if you're offering me that choice, like those guys are just so much more talented, and we've seen like how high the ceilings that wide receivers can hit, even in the half PPR. Um, I I I I would just rather take uh, I'd rather take my risks elsewhere at running back. That's fair. Um, that, that's fair. I definitely see that side of it. Um. But yeah, anyways, I think some other other guys to hit on here that are interesting to me. One would be Josh Jacobs. Again, kind of in that Joe Mixon category where he's not a fun player to talk about. I think a lot of people in our circle of fantasy football have dismissed Josh Jacobs for years, but he now has a really strong role, both in terms of this expected fantasy points view he's in around the 15 expected fantasy points per game range, which is quite strong for where he was drafted. And then if you look at this chart here again, which shows percent of team snaps, he really spikes here relative to his cost. Uh, He has the sixth highest workload, meaning percent of his team's plays where he's getting a rush or a pass route. And right now, um, if you're looking for, you know, running back values on the best ball resurrection, he's going at a price of pick 75. And I think that is just way too low. That That's going to go up. He had, a, you know, people are on the Josh Jacobs. He had a big game last week. That, that price is certainly bound to go up, but I don't think it'll go up enough because of this anchoring effect on Josh Jacobs. I think one, I'll, I'll let you talk about him, but the last thing I would add on Jacobs is I think for, people that have dismissed him for a while it hasn't even necessarily been that they think he's a bad talent it's been that the role is really bad they've always taken him off the field on passing downs and not really given him targets i don't think anyone thinks he's like this amazing talent but i think he's like you know a four net ish level talent like he's, he's the same talent of guys that have put up big fantasy seasons before so i'm pretty excited by this this jacob stuff so far and if the price sticks in the 70s or 60s I think that's that's a pretty easy click for me. Yeah, I think he, he has a yeah he has a kind of dead zone profile in a way, and um, but he doesn't have a dead zone price, so that that that's why it's different. And the difference for me as well, the big difference between him and Mixon is that Josh Jacobs has actually played well, like mm-hmm. it and and it's not like he's just played on this amazing offense. Like he's actually like played really well. And uh, he's he's earned the, the, the his snap share, his workload. And um he actually 
he, 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 he could argue that uh, he's been unlucky because his touch hit the, the biggest reason for his uh kind of like neutralish uh fancy points over expected is because he hasn't got the right amount of he hasn't got the the touchdowns that you would expect given his workload and mm-hmm. so i think if if he if he were to go back to old josh jacobs price i i stopped being interested just because of the fragility of the position and i don't think he's like an elite talent and um, but at current cost it, it, it's it's a pretty easy uh selection i think yeah um, agreed I any, any other guys you wanted to hit on here trico do i have any other players e- indeed i do um so breeze hall uh, i think you're probably yeah. everybody will see this everywhere he's the starter now um pick 46 it's too cheap he's obviously going to be higher but while you can get him anywhere around there, great value. Um, an even bigger value, I, I I think, is J.K. Dobbins at pick 57. So he's he's in that kind of, uh, um, I guess he's in between 10 and 15 points, expected points per game, which coming back from the serious injury that he is, uh, is really, I think is really, really encouraging. And um, he's so talented. The offense is so good. Uh, obviously, Jackson takes some of the touchdowns off the uh, off the table, but that's not destiny. An offense that scores that many points is going to have points for the back. And I I I see that as a really really uh, probably one of the most attractive uh, picks in uh, yeah. that direction. Especially in half PPR, right? Like if we're talking full PPR and say he was a third round pick or something, I'd be like, ah, I don't know if he has the receiving profile to, to live up to that. But yeah, at his price on a half PPR website, he can get there through touchdowns. I think, you know, if I'm making my list of the top 10 guys who are most likely to have a multi-touchdown game in any given week, I think Dobbins is already knocking on that door already. Uh, and his role has has room to grow as the season uh, goes on. Also, Justice Hill, worth mentioning, I think left the game with a somewhat serious injury this week. Uh, Need to follow up on that, but that could even open up things further because I really think they don't trust these Kenyon Drake, uh, Mike Davis, Dust Balls. Again, I guess Gus Edwards will be back at some point, but um, there could be even more opportunity with a Justice Hill injury there. Cool. Uh, last thing on the AFC, um, Derrick Henry. I think it is worth mentioning that he's gotten five and six targets in each of the past two weeks. I don't know if that's just noise or the coaching staff realizing, hey, we used Derrick Henry in the passing game last year and it worked. Let's let's try that again. But um, it has, you know, just from watching the games, it looks like they've um, ripped off some some solid screen plays with Derrick Henry out there. And I expect, you know, I don't expect six targets a week, but I do expect like more in the three to four range now versus the first two weeks when he just had zero. So I think that does give some hope to Henry drafters that that ceiling from last year is still there if he does have those five to six target games. And we know he can rip off a long run or, you know, roast the Texans for 40 fantasy points in a given week. So I think that this drafting him at midway through the second round. 
No, I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably not. I think that this comment was more, you know, I think it looked really bad for Henry after two weeks. Right. And I would have been like selling him low at like a third, late third round value, you know, equivalent in my leagues. I think now he's maybe like, I think he should go a few picks lower. I would certainly take, um, looking at the wide receivers right now, I would take a Monra over him. I would take Debo over him. I would probably take, you know, I think he, I think he fits in sort of the mix and range at the end of the second. Um, that makes you know, sense. I think, yeah, I think, I think there's probably a little, yeah. the most exciting in DFS, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there is a discussion. We'd probably run the time for today, but just with how thin running back looks right now that it's all, it's almost becoming, and, and maybe like we sort of already viewed it this way, but it's almost becoming a little bit like the tight end position where there's so few guys that really have like upside right now at the running back position that when I'm on the clock and I'm thinking about Derrick Henry in the second round versus Jalen Waddle. I know in a vacuum that Waddle is almost certainly the better pick and projects for more fantasy points and, and all of that. But with the wide receivers, I can build around later versus some of the running backs later. I may be inclined on some teams to go with sort of the anchor. Right. And I mean, that's why anchor RB works so well, why it's yeah. so popular. And because you, you, you can get a, a guy like Henry, make the bet that hey he's gonna be like this all year if he is i win a bunch of money um yeah i i, I guess yeah the only thing would be the the age but i i i think i would agree more than than not yeah no the long-term age everything there's some red flags but i think the last two weeks he's shown that that derrick henry ceiling is still there maybe a way that weeks one and two i was a little spooked right you can still Uh, play yeah uh okay i think we should hit while we're on the afc uh side this this chart doesn't show it but maybe some folks don't realize uh in miami there seems to have been a takeover last week with mostert playing a lot more snaps than Edmonds. i think he almost doubled him up in terms of snaps and routes run Edmonds still seems to be getting the favored looks in the red zone. And we've seen sort of flip flopping back and forth over these first four weeks. So I'm not like locking in Mostert to that uh, dominant share of snaps there, but worth worth mentioning is maybe something that went under the radar. If you just looked at the box score quickly, you wouldn't have picked that up necessarily. Um, cool. Moving on to the NFC. Again, we have Barkley, who you made the case for as the number one running back in the resurrection, uh, showing up pretty strongly here. And now he I is the number one running back. And he is. Yeah, we're market movers here at Statues. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I think, yeah, I, I think that market is right there. I think if you wanted to go McCaffrey over Barkley, that's the only one where I can see the reasoning for it, I think with Taylor's injury, you can't do that anymore. But anyways, you know, I think these top guys get a lot of attention, Dracos, or maybe any sort of the more unheralded names here or situations that you found interesting uh, in week four. 
Uh, yeah. Um, so I think two of the situations that we should hit on are the two injury situations. And mm. um, I guess before before we move on to um, uh, the NFC, do you yeah. want to talk about the, uh, the the Denver situation? Yeah, we should hit on that. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll I guess I'll, I'll shoot first. Um, so I think the biggest concern for me in that whole backfield is that once it happened, they immediately bring in uh, Latavius Murray, and it re- like it feels to me as a, a very kind of like strong situation for. Or say a very likely scenario. The, the most likely scenario is it becomes this three man backfield, of like, so they they've trusted Melvin Gordon for like highly for the last couple of years, and um, but he hasn't played he hasn't played well at the start of the year. Uh, Boone has been mostly special teams player, and never really uh, never really gotten like a high snap share. And uh, obviously he has juice, but never really gotten a high snap share. And then the first thing they do is bring in Latavius Murray, who did actually show decent juice last week in, uh, in London. Um, so my, I think my overall approach would be to try uh, and attack the situation in, a, in as most in price conscious way as possible. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I think I am a little bit more bullish on Boone than you are. I, I think so it depends. I, I guess let's talk about something like a, a league like the Football Guys Championships or the FF, FFPC main event right now. I think you don't get many chances on waivers to get a running back who one led his team in snaps the week before that that only is going to happen you know a couple times over the course of the year and two um i think the second data point i like on boone is they were looking to get him involved in week three even before javante went down it it went a little bit under the radar but it actually kind of turned into this gross three-man committee in week three with boone getting some snaps so i see that you know the fact that he got snaps in week three the fact that he past Gordon in week four. I know, look, I know Gordon was banged up. He had the fumble. There's some sort of confounding factors there, but um, he did have more snaps than Gordon in week four after Javante went down. I am kind of taking a risk off those two data points and being a little bit more aggressive on Boone. I see the Murray signing as more of a signal that they just need some veteran depth in the building. Um, if Gordon is still banged up or, you know, someone in the RB3 position, but I, I think I would be more in the 20 to 30% of your budget range for Boone, which probably like, isn't even enough to get him. Like maybe I'm just more aggressive than you, but I'm, I'm not as aggressive as the market right. is. Um, my, my but- uh, I guess my only thing is like, so these guys who can take over uh, backfields, they have to be kind of, st- maybe not superstars, but they have to be very strong NFL talents. Do you think Boone is a strong NFL talent? No, but I think he's a league average NFL talent. And I think at the running back position, 
if the team believes in you and just gives you a lot of carries and lets you run a lot of routes, you can you get can score. There. Yeah, but you can score. But my my I guess uh, we should probably move on. Uh, but yeah. soon. Uh, but my only thing would be if he's an average average NFL talent, aren't those the guys who get in three committee backfields? Yeah, but it's just the. I'm more so comparing it to other running backs that are going to be available on waivers through the course of the year. And this is a guy that at least had a role on his team for, for two consecutive right. weeks. Like, there's not that many guys on waivers that even have any kind of role on their team. So if a guy already has a role, then a major injury happens and opens up more snaps for him. It's not like I think Boone is this amazing talent, but we have this signal from the team that like him. There's this opportunity for him to earn more talent. And, you know, going way back to his Minnesota days, he did flash like a bit of a ceiling in his three starts to end the 2020 season. He had an RB one week in week 17 and an RB two week in week 15. So he has kind of already shown that like he can get there, not like a league winning running back, but like a running back that could be super valuable to a zero RB roster. So let me I ask you this up to what pick would you take him in the resurrection? Um, I think I saw, so I, I took him today on the team I drafted because he's going okay. at an an ADP of 189. I think I took him around like 170 because I was just playing the ADP game. But I would, looking at the guys on the list right now, I would take him. Let's see, man, these prices are all over the place. I think in the one in the 140s, and that's not to say that every running back ahead of him I like better, and every running back behind him I like worse. But just generally looking at these prices here, I think I would take him in like the. 130s 140s range i think yeah. i'm more in like the one 150s 160s so yeah that's one of those things where like it's a small difference probably uh but when you hash it out it sounds much larger than uh, it actually is and um you, you're the host so i don't want to take over it too much but yeah. i do think we should talk about the uh the nfc case of that where uh cordero patterson went on the uh IR. Yeah, we should talk about that. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I think this one, my take on the Atlanta one is, so looking at this chart here, let's start with Cordell Patterson's expected fantasy points. He's only in around the 10, the 5 to 10 expected fantasy points range. That's decent, but not great. So from that perspective, he's not really leaving behind a huge workload. And then if we look at his um, this other view of sort of his rush attempt share and route share. Again, he shows up at the far right-hand side of this chart for the running backs, getting more than 45% routes and rush attempts. So again, it's a it's like a top 30 role in the NFL, but it's not that big of a role, actually. It's kind of in like, you know, the Ramondre Stevenson level of role that he has right now so taking those two data points together he doesn't have a ton of expected fantasy points he doesn't have like a ton of snaps that he's leaving behind he's more so been getting there so far this year on an efficiency standpoint when he is on the field they're designing looks for him they're, they're getting him the ball and he's like been awesome frankly when you see him run the ball he's like hurtling dudes and smashing into guys and running it down the field so that's all to say that i think patterson has been getting there on efficiency and not so much volume, which makes me less excited about the likes of Algier, Caleb Huntley, you know, 
Damian Williams when he comes back because I, I think actually Patterson's not leaving behind that big of a role. He's just an awesome player and nobody's going to be able to sort of replicate what he does. They're going to sort of split this up and it's going to be tough to trust these guys. Uh, that said, I'm like, I'm adding Algier. Like I'd be fitting, you know, 150 right. for him or something. Right. But like, I'm not as excited compared to like someone like Boone. Uh, what so do you think? Trey? I would see it. So we were actually, we were just talking uh, when we were talking about the quarterbacks is that one of the, one of the reasons that uh, the Atlanta offense has been so bad for, for pretty much all the players and uh, is they, they, they don't play fast enough. They don't throw enough. Yeah. Uh, and um, we can, we probably should expect that to improve to some degree. And, um, so I do think that there probably is a slightly bigger pie coming uh, in in kind of future weeks than than we've seen for the first four weeks, um, and then I guess the 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 one uh, now I know I I think that Tyler Algier is probably the priority over over the two of them, yeah. But he does actually he did have a really strong uh, receiving profile in college, uh. He did. He did get solid. Uh, he, he did get, I guess, okay draft capital, um, but, um, the I guess the other thing about it is that he, uh, how do I say it? He 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 does he does have talent. So it could be yeah. the type of situation where, uh, now that he he I guess he gets a little bit more opportunity. That he gets more a, a bigger chance to show that talent, um, and I think that this probably the strongest note for him is that once uh, Patterson went down, he got all of the receiving workload. Uh, Caleb Huntley didn't get he didn't get a single target, and yeah, so that that just being able to consolidate all of the Atlanta uh, receiving work from the backfield that 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 could be pretty uh, solid value wise. Yeah. That, that all makes sense. I'm definitely excited about Algier compared to the other Atlanta guys. Um, so, yeah. Cool. I think I, I have a couple quick hits, and then we can move on to mm-hmm. uh, wide receiver. I think the Rashad White usage, if you didn't see that game uh, in prime time, they were giving him – they were rotating a series between him and Fournette. So that's really bullish. He had been basically relegated to a handful of snaps per game. They wanted to get him more involved, and we saw that um, pretty clearly in prime time. So I'm excited about Rashad White. Definitely grab him in any leagues where he is available. And, yeah, I think I had something else, but I forgot it. Draco, any, any quick hits here before we um, – we can also look at the snap share chart quickly if you had anything you wanted to point on at that before we talk about wide receiver. Uh, no, I, I think uh, I think I, I, I made the uh... – I had my notes. I interrupt you a good bit to make them. Uh, okay. <laughs> and so I'm good to go. Yeah. Cool. Let's talk about receivers then. It's it's for shame. We're 50 minutes in. This is a, a show hosted by Ship Chasing, and we're only now talking about the wide receivers. Yeah, I know. We're I've, probably gonna we're probably gonna get fired. Actually, Patch just messaged me on Discord. We've been we've been fired. Um, we've been we've spending. been canned. I feel yeah. shamed. I've brought shame to my family. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty ugly. Um, okay, let's hit these wide receivers. I'll quickly talk about this chart for people who are unfamiliar. 
we're looking at wide receiver opportunity versus fantasy points here as a way to identify potential sell highs and buy lows. So guys that are underperforming their expert expectations in terms of opportunity and guys that are overperforming. So we have our different quadrants here on the Y axis. We have fantasy points per game. And then on the X axis, we have weighted targets per route run, which is a good measure of opportunity. It's the number of targets you get per route you're on the field, but adjusted in terms of air yard. So adjusted for how far down the field you're getting that target because a 50 yard bomb is worth more expected fantasy points than, you know, a behind the line of scrimmage uh, screen pass. So that's the general orientation of the chart. I think we should start off Draco by talking about, you know, the headline of this show today, Alan Robinson, just doing an awesome job sticking to his cardio routine on the field. He's really showing a lot of diligence there. Just, you know, Stafford's not even looking his way, but he's just diligently running routes. Um, yeah, he, he's sure. got his fit on. Yeah. He's getting his steps in. His Strava, if you check out his Strava profile, it's it's really impressive. He's running a lot of distance out there on the field. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he's he's been, jokes aside, he's been like, he's been a true disaster. And I think maybe a conversation worth having here is we can't, we can't rip Allen Robinson to shreds without talking about how Gabe Davis actually is profiling very similar to him on this chart. He's also, he's even seeing less weighted targets per route run. I don't know how that's possible with how bad Robinson has been, but yeah, Drago, interested in your Gabe Davis take, like if, if Robinson is dead, which I think a lot of people think he is, he's got an ADP of around a hundred on the best ball resurrection. And that's going to be dropping. That's going to be dropping rapidly. What do we think the deal with Gabe Davis is? He has not really fallen. People are still buying Gabe Davis at an ADP of 44. Um, how do we reconcile like those two? Those um, two I think that the biggest, the biggest uh, difference is that Gabe Davis, he does, he did have an ankle injury um, that he's been playing through. And I think people are giving him a little bit of a pass on that. Um, yeah. Just because uh, he, his prior efficiency was uh, actually very good, like his uh, his per root stuff, but uh, adjusted for a dot in the last couple of years has actually been really strong. Um, but there probably there, there is like some degree of like a signal in that, um. A lot of the other, uh, a lot of the other receivers have been earning targets. Like uh, Stefan Dix has been a target machine. He's he's returned to like vintage form, Stefan Dix, which doesn't it doesn't leave a lot of uh, a lot of room for anybody else. Um, yeah, I do think though that uh, he Gabe David will probably he, I think he'll probably still be okay. And um, once they, when, I, I guess, assuming the ankle does heal, um, just because his his touchdown equity is so high, um, but it it all like I guess there's a lot of nuance here, but yeah, it would seem that um on the margin, he was too expensive this summer. Um, yeah. Um, what do you think about his his ADP of forty is forty three right now? Vessel resurrection. Are you? 
Or you, that's you have like to take more, them out of that's almost more expensive than the summer, right? Yeah, that's what I, that's why I'm shocked is that it hasn't really moved at all. I don't quite remember, but it was it was close to that in the summer. So that's what I'm trying to understand. Like, I agree with you. He's not dead. He's not Alan Robinson. I'm not like burying him, um, calling him a cardio specialist, but he's been really bad and even with the ankle injury like i'm i'm pretty spooked like i i am waiting for that price to fall there's guys going behind him that just looks so much more exciting to me chris alave chris godwin drake london garrett wilson even you know bateman you can make an argument for a lot of guys going behind him instead of gabe davis right now that i'm i'm not really touching that price of the 10 foot pole at, at adp of 43. yeah um yeah i i agree um there's a, like for example you've got Brees hall e- even aside from wide receiver you got Brees hall who is now a starting running back uh and if if like me you're you're passing on joe mixon for jalen waddle uh you're taking uh um Brees hall there over uh gabe davis there yeah um it it is really it, it is one of those things where it doesn't feel like we have the full information, uh, in that he is he is running this really high percentage of snaps, but we don't actually know to what degree the ankle is hurting him. Like it it's like you've got this wide range of like it could be absolutely slowing him down, and that's why he's not earning targets. And in two weeks' time, the ankle is going to be better, and he's going to smash. Or it, it it could really be that he he was just like an overhyped kind of third year potential breakout. Yeah, no, there I there's a big range there. You know the thing is like with the injury narrative, which I the thing about it I don't quite buy is the fact that he is running ninety five to hundred. Mm-hmm. He's literally out there for every single play, even in the game where they ran like a million plays. What was that against Miami two weeks ago? He's still running like every single play. So if he was limited, you'd think they would be resting him somewhat. So that's what's weird to me. Like it's, right. it certainly could be bothering him. And he's kind of like in this decoy role out there. But I'm kind of just not if, – if the injury was the issue, I would kind of expect to see a lower percent of routes run yeah. and like slightly better efficiency. Like we're seeing kind of the opposite, which is why I'm more spooked than optimistic on Gabe Davis. Especially at same cost or higher. Yeah. So let's hit on a couple questions from the from the yeah. chat or comments from the chat. Chris said, "I think Pickens is a great buy low," and I I think that's a great point from Chris. And I also wanted to talk about sort of the Steelers in general. I see Pickens popping in the buy low section of this chart. I also see Deontay popping there. Um, do you agree that those two Steeler Steelers guys are great buy lows? Yeah, I yeah, I particularly like Pickens. I particularly agree with Chris on Pickens. I actually had my him in my notes as a player to call out where he is getting this strong um way to targets per route run. And if the kind of small sample size data on Kenny Pickett of uh, being a bit more of an aggressive thrower, that 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 would really suit uh George Pickens' play style and that would be very, very interesting, especially at pick 100 or so. I think it's 104. Um, I think that Deontay yeah. Johnson is so good that if the offense can kick things into gear, 
He obviously is a, a very, a very, very strong buy there at 55. Um, the reason I prefer Pickens more is just the price. Because at that price, you can um you have a bit more of an out in that he can even if the offense doesn't uh kick up as much as we want, you still have the out of him being becoming more of a one B, which it looks like he's he's not too far off becoming. Um especially as a rookie who generally improve as the year goes on. Um so yeah, yeah that, that, that 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 would be my thought on, on those two players. Yeah, I can't really add anything to that. I think I agree with all your points. I, I'm I'd be drafting both at their current prices, and yeah, I agree. Pickens slightly more exciting. Casey commented. I thought this was interesting. He said Max Payne seeing Curtis Samuel in the sell high quadrant. I think Curtis Samuel is an interesting one because I think there's two things going on. One part of the reason he shows up in the sell high quadrant is because we're showing weighted targets per route run, which ding guys like Samuel who see a pretty heavy target volume, but see a ton of them close to a line of scrimmage. He's not really getting a ton of air yards, but I think the role is still pretty strong for Samuel that I, I don't think that the market is really valuing. If, if they were valuing him super high, I would agree on like this charts sell high designation here, but he's still only going at pick 75. And you also have the element where Jahan Dotson has a hamstring injury. It's not feared to be super serious, but he's going to be out a couple weeks. And hamstring injuries really, compared to a lot of injuries, they they tend to linger. And if this offense condensed to, you know, Diami Brown running wind sprints on the outside with then McLaurin and Curtis Samuel soaking up even more targets, I think there's even some kind of sneaky, sneaky upside for Samuel over the next couple of weeks and and beyond. So I'm I am not like necessarily agreeing with with the sell high for him on his price. What what do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh one point to make is that if you look at his fantasy points over expected, it's actually neutral. So um I think that the uh this chart it it, it it's it, it's a great chart, but Curtis Samuel might be like a, a uh, no matter what chart you use, it's going to have some blind spots and Curtis Samuel might be the blind spot of yeah. this chart. I agree. Yeah. This is like a chart that's just set up for Samuel to fail, but I think his role is actually, actually pretty strong. Okay. A couple, like, I just want to give quick hitters for people listening on audio, other sort of maybe unexpected names that are actually have really strong roles and I would be buying or even adding in shallower leagues. Jacoby Myers really has a quite strong targets per route run, and he might be dropped in some leagues because he's been injured the past couple of weeks. DJ Chark, same story. I think his role is pretty strong. I like the Detroit offense. I'm picking him up if he's been dropped in any leagues. And then also Tyler Lockett, I think, is a guy worth calling out where that offense really seems to be condensing to Lockett and Metcalf. So I like, I like those guys. Um, Draco, any, Oh yeah. We should talk about Rondell Moore, who I think is on this. He is on the, I think he's on the next chart. Oh, he's on the next chart. Okay. Anybody else on this chart you wanted to talk about? Um, yeah. Um, so I did want to call out that, uh, Hollywood Brown has played much better over the past two weeks 
than uh, he had when we called him out. Um, he's actually kind of maintained the same kind of role of like being uh, playing a lot on the outside, kind of getting the 11 and a half range for ADOT. And last game, the, in the last game, he actually uh, won two contested catches. Um, despite and, and that's despite the offense kind of struggling. So uh, I think it's probably one of those situations similar to uh, um, Henry, uh, Derek Henry, where um, it's obviously you're, you're disappointed that the offense is cratered, but it looked an awful lot better than uh, it did in the uh, in the first couple of games. And a pick 50, I think, is pro- like anybody, anybody uh, who's going to be in the top quadrant top right quadrant of this for the full-time guys and uh, outside the first four rounds is is an easy yeah. buy for me and yeah. i also did want to call out that um we just have actually got so many guys in this like strong performer range here at wide receiver which has worked out very differently to what the preseason expectation was preseason expectation was that oh hey Wide receiver isn't as deep as this year. Uh, there's this dramatic fall off once you get outside of the top two rounds. And I don't think that's proven true. I think that uh, it was it, it, it was obviously there was a lot of transition last year or, or this year. So it was harder to project which wide receivers would finish in this type of range. But I think it's been obviously uh, a lot stronger for the top wide receivers than uh, – than we were expecting going into the year. Yeah. And you're seeing that with ADP, right? The number of running backs taken in the first two rounds now compared to at the start of the season has dropped way off because we have a lot of confidence in some of these wide receivers. So that's that's a good macro take and I think something that's important to remember. Um, maybe for next year that <laughs> these running backs can really fall off a cliff in terms of price after a couple weeks in a way that is much less common for the wide receivers. Now, I think a little bit of that is this year has been especially bad for some of the top running backs and especially good for some of the, the wide receivers. But I think it's sort of a general trend that we would expect um, over time. I wish somebody could make a draft strategy to profit off that, but um, I'm sure they're still working on it. Um, You're working on it. Still never yeah. won a, a major tournament. <laughs> okay. We're working on it this year, though. <laughs> Yeah, they'll, we'll see. It, it's looking good this year. So this um, chart yeah. here, uh, we're now moving on to guys running 65 to 85% of routes. So they're still running a majority of their team's routes, but not the full complement. We, we teased this a little bit. Maybe let's start with Rondell Moore, Drico. He immediately came into a, I believe, around an 85% route shared week one so that greg dorch role that was pretty strong basically completely disappeared and just went to rondell Moore. you know actually he is i think he's even on the other chart now now that i'm looking at this closely he actually appears um, oh oh there he's right there yeah the line. okay yeah so i don't have a lot to say about rondell besides like i think it's bullish that he ran like 90 percent of his team's routes in week one, he didn't perform, but like, yeah, that like kind of just a simple. So I, I've got some further points. Um, yeah. 
So he actually he had an average depth. He had an A dot of about ten and a half, which for um for somebody where we were worried, oh, like hey, he's just a gadget guy. That's super encouraging. He played. I think he played uh, two thirds of his snaps on the on the outside. So not as a slot receiver. Uh, again, super yeah, super, super encouraging for somebody that w- we had already pencil hauled in for a uh, to be a, just a gadget player, and um, I guess my my uh, my he didn't he obviously didn't get the points he didn't score many points and he didn't his target share was not that high, but. I do think that for a guy, he, he actually he runs a, a sub four tree, super productive in college. Athletic freak, yeah, yeah, like super freak in like so many different um, uh, combine measurements. And if now he has a role where he's also getting downfield targets, like I I don't know that that's just like I, I'm 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 a, I'm probably a Rondell Murray uh, super fan. Uh, at pick 140 like you want to talk about uh, making up wide receiver uh, later in drafts like that's like that's to me that's a smash yeah and I'll be honest I was fading Rondell Moore this offseason he was around to pick 110 um, but I'm adjusting my priors just the fact that he was seeing that many snaps I did not anticipate that and the fact that we saw Greg Dorch perform in a pretty similar role that I think was kind of designed for Rondale. So at a price of 140, I'm certainly buying. I think actually in the draft I did today, I did a Kyler uh, double stack with Rondale and, and Hopkins and felt pretty good about the price for Rondale. So yeah, I'm, I'm adjusting like good role week one. The, I'm not too worried about like the actual fantasy point performance not being there. Given how strong the role was, I think he's talented enough to uh, to flash there. Cool. Um, this chart now uh, we finally finally moved on to the sixty-five to eighty-five percent of routes run guys. I think a lot of names in the strong performers you'd expect: Mike Evans, Stephon Diggs, Jalen Waddle, um, Drake London, hovering there i think maybe Dr- london is an interesting guy to talk about Drico because he's been good like his role has been awesome he's earning this insane target share um the fantasy point numbers have been like good not not awesome he had definitely had a down week i'm just i guess like how worried are you about the overall situation in atlanta and do you think that drake london's talent can shine through. I think we're seeing that like Kyle Pitts is talent is like failing to shine through there. And I guess I'm like a little bit worried that that could happen to London for a stretch of the season. Um, is that a, a fair concern or, or how are you, how are you viewing London with, you know, his price of around 50 um, or 43 ADP on underdog fantasy? How are you? But the way I see it is that if you look at both London and Pitts, if you look at their per, per route numbers, they're excellent. When they when the, the Falcons decide to throw the ball, London and Pitts absolutely eat. They feast. Um, 
the problem, as we've been talking about for most of the show, is that they just haven't been throwing the ball enough. Yeah. Um, I think that that is is generally the kind of situation that you do want to attack of where the talent is so good and so obvious that nobody can deny it. The situation just hasn't been ideal. Um, generally, would with somebody with a, with something like that probably would like a little bit more of a discount um, than pick 43. But yeah, um, if you're asking me, do I want to fade or or or, or even be light on Drake London? I, I I don't I don't think I can do that. Um, because there there are just so many ways that the situation can get much better. Um, like the 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 Falcons are are like I know that they they have won some games, but they're losing games that that they kind of shouldn't really be. Um. And I don't, I don't think that they can continue playing the way that they have. And th- this kind of links into uh, Chris's point that we need uh, uh, Desmond Ritter to unlock uh, those uh, receivers. And I mean, I, I don't want to put the blame on Marcus Mariota either. The, the, the blame lies with uh, Arthur Smith and, and their uh, conservative play calling. And um, but. I, I just don't think that can last forever. Um, yeah. Or, or it, maybe it can last forever. I'm just willing to, I'm just kind of willing to buy on uh, on the hope or the, what I, what I perceive to be as a kind of like a really big smash situation if it does reverse. That's fair. Yeah. I think, I think you sold me a little bit there on London that the role is just so strong. And I did, yeah, I kind of made this point earlier in Atlanta that they've had some weird game script stuff that I think they'll be forced to throwing more at some point. And in that case, London and, and even Pitts to a lesser extent, I think, I think can smash. Um, other other points I wanted to make on this chart, I think Juju and Dubs, we, we've talked about the Packers and KC situations before, but I think Juju and Dubs are separating a little bit from the rest of their teammates from a target earning perspective. We're not really seeing it in the box score from a fantasy point perspective, but I think it's pretty clear. I think this is the consensus take as well. It's not going to shock anyone. I think it's pretty clear that those are the guys you want in their respective offenses at wide receiver. Am I like incredibly excited about either? No, I think I'm a little more excited about dubs. Um, Oh my God, Dubs. Never mind. Dubs is going to pick 75. I think he was going at 100 something last week. So, yeah, at pick 75, I'm not like dying to get Dubs. And then Juju's going at pick 73. So, the market is seeing these guys similarly. I think they're, they're the number one wide receivers on their teams, but not like impressive wide receiver one roles necessarily. Yeah. So, that's the thing though. Dubs is not an impressive role, but yet, um, I I don't know about you, but when I whenever I look at a, a rookie's kind of like early season uh, utilization, I always I always kind of like adjust for what I think it'll look like in the back half, which is higher. And uh, for me, when you see somebody play well, um, 
I, I think that you have to, especially a young player, you, you have to kind of like expect that as they play well, they do get a bigger role. Um, and I think we've talked about this on the show before, where the other options at wide receiver are so bad for the Packers that they're, they're, they're just going to have no choice at some point. They're just going to have no choice. But like, okay, he he's the guy that gives us the chance to win the game. You got to get him. Yeah. I mean, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd take Dubs over Juju, I guess, if like we're talking about those those two guys. But you know, he's going ahead of Tyler Lockett, ahead of um, DJ Moore. He's going ahead of George Pickens, Traylon Burks. Um, I don't know. I, I guess like I don't hate his, the the ranking that he's in at wide receiver, but I just think it's kind of like a pretty flat tier once you get to that point. And I'm, I'm maybe looking in other directions there. Right. Assuming I've already, I've already scooped a handful of wide receivers. I don't think there's like a ton separating dubs from even someone like Jamison Williams in this resurrection format, assuming we get him back at some point. Um, so I might just kind of like attack that same breakout rookie wide receiver profile, but just get it from a guy who has higher draft capital and is going at a cheaper price. But you know, I, I don't, I don't hate, I don't right. hate dubs. There's plenty players. of very talented receivers in that range. Yeah. Um, quick hitter Gallup again, similar point to Rondell Moore. He's back in like almost a full time role in the eighty to eighty five percent range. His first week back, I think that's pretty bullish. Um, scooping Gallup in, in any leagues where he's available, and you know, maybe even firing him in DFS a little bit, uh, because I think there there could be some some breakout games for Gallup, even if he didn't earn targets in his first week back. Draco, anything? We're now moved on to the last tier uh, of wide receivers that we're going to talk about today. Guys in the 40 to 65% of routes run category. Um, some names I've never heard of here, but <laughs> anybody that pop out to you as interesting um, on this chart? Um, Honestly, not maybe uh maybe i'm wrong but not really it does kind of look like a lot of uh lower talent wide receivers uh playing lower amounts of snaps and and, and getting lower opportunity probably the the biggest thing that pops out to me is is sadness at seeing uh, kj hamler in the uh in the cardio specialist yeah. Uh, section that, that's a sad one with David Bell too yeah I don't think there's anything like huge to talk about in this chart I will say I think McKenzie and DuVernay are interesting from the perspective that they had um, injured teammates um, McKenzie with Crowder I think has a pretty serious ankle injury and DuVernay with Bateman having a foot sprain and those guys have earned decent not great but but decent roles on limited routes. So yeah, maybe more in the DFS flyer category there. And then Julio, I think I was excited about Julio after week one. I now think he's more of a contingent value bet than someone you can really start confidently. Um, but I think when he is on the field, he's a guy that Brady is going to be looking to. I think there's going to be a lot more conservative with, how much they play him. At least we saw that last week where Gage was running ahead of him. And I think 
I think they may be kind of like in Gronk mode with him where they're going to sort of rest him for the playoffs. But if anything were to happen to Mike Evans um, or Godwin again, I think Julio should be stashed as sort of a contingent play. Um, um, we don't uh, we don't have him on the chart because I don't believe he's gotten enough uh, routes or targets. Um, but with um, the amount of injuries Buffalo have gotten, I think McKenzie's banged up. I think Crowder is yeah. actually hurt now. McKenzie um, has a concussion. Yeah. Um, Gabe is banged up. Uh, someone that does kind of pop out a little bit is Khalil Shakur. Uh, he's only ran 19 routes in two games. Um, but he does have a 50% uh, weighted ta- uh, target per route run. And um, that, as as somebody yeah, who, who could play more uh, um, a lot more snaps in an explosive offense, uh, he is. I think he's a, a rookie that we should be keeping tabs on. Uh, if you if you are struggling for wide receiver and you need some upside at wide receiver, would be very interested in him. And um, let's see where is he in the? He's the last pick. And he's a, I think he's an excellent last pick in the resurrection. Um, he's probably uh, an interesting play in DFS. Like, just somebody who, uh, an exciting rookie who has yeah. done decent with opportunity and could be could get a, a higher share in future weeks. Yep. And along those lines, another guy not in this chart, Sky Moore's role, it's worth noting that did increase quite a bit. I think he had only seen like three to eight snaps in the first couple weeks and he was up closer to 25 percent or something like that in week four um so that's not a guy to monitor if he's been dropped in any leagues even in your like shower leagues i would recommend adding sky more because like we talked about kansas city none of these guys are doing anything besides kelsey really juju's like been the best but still very meh from a target earning perspective so if sky more is good there's an easy path for him to to explode there. So um, I, I think and small like, sample size, eighty three percent weight weighted target per route run, like only eighteen routes. But that's that's yeah. absolutely elite. And uh, even if that were, were to regress him and he were to get a better role, like that's ve- that's a very kind of productive situation you're looking at there. Yep, yep. So that's got more in all your leagues for sure. Easily Let's... worth one hundred and twenty-five dollars <laughs> in the main event. Um, what? Remind me what my recommended bid was and what was the second lowest bid? Did I, <laughs> did I nail that or I forget? Um, no, in our in our main event, we had a heated discussions about about the value of Sky Moore, uh, which is what we're referring to. We ended up getting him, and I think we're all ultimately happy, especially since we had some injuries at wide receiver. But let's move on to to tight end. Uh, to finish up the show, Drico. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing at uh, Casey's comment. We need to put Kenny Galladay <laughs> in his own quadrant. That's yeah, the quiet quitting. The quiet quitting quadrant. That's the retiring at halftime uh, quadrant. We can put him and Al Robinson in there. Oh man, Kenny Galladay looks looks bad. Um, oh yeah, I guess like finishing up wide receiver the. That that Galladay point just got me thinking. I think the Giants wide receiver situation is like so disgusting right now that you should be adding Tony and Wandale Robinson in any league you can. I think 
they're both probably like they're going to be owned in your main event type leagues, but in your shallower leagues are probably on the wire. And I'm definitely interested in those guys because there's an easy path for them to emerge. The number one wide receiver right now for the Giants is like Richie James and David Sills and Darius Slayton, who I thought was banished. Um, he's back in there running routes. So um, grab, grab Wandale and Tony uh, for sure. Right. I pick 155 for Tony. I wasn't drafted in him at all in uh, early. And but at one pick 55 and with the shorter season, even one Tony game probably gets you like the, I don't like talking about paying off ADP, but it's just like the hurdle that he needs to hit at his new price is, is so low that he does become a screaming value. Yep. Okay, cool. Let's, I, I, I totally agree with that. Let's finish with tight end quickly. Um, so I, I think here, this chart, you know, People are going to be worried about Kyle Pitts, and I think we have to talk people off the ledge one last time. The role is not great. Uh, it's it's still, from a target-earning perspective and from an ADOP perspective, however, he's still seeing the second-highest targets per route run of any tight end. Or sorry, third-highest targets per route run of any tight end that's seeing more than 60% of their team's routes. He's seeing the highest ADOT of any tight end seeing more than 60% of their team's routes. So he is sort of being treated like a wide receiver, like an elite wide receiver when he's on the field running routes, but he is pass blocking a lot more than you would like. And that part of it is annoying. But again, like I would still be taking Pitts as the third tight end off the board after Andrews and Kelsey. I just think there is like quite a big tear break from Andrews, Kelsey to Pitts. Um, compared to how I saw it at the end of the year, but and now he's going to pick forty-eight. Yeah, so he's going to where uh, Waller was going uh, at at certain points in the offseason last year. So, I mean, it's one of those things where the price is caught up to the role, uh, and that is definitely a situation where, uh, or, or or yeah, a situation where the role isn't what you want it to be. The situation isn't want it to be. But the talent is, and if you can take a discounted bet on that talent and then the situation goes your way, like, can you imagine, like, the, the, the money printing if Kyle Pitts does hit a pick 50? Like, yeah. Um, last year when uh, when I won the uh, FFPC best ball tournament, 11 of 12 teams had Mark Andrews just because he was so cheap because of the situation and he smashed so hard because of the talent. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you need some you need some cr- cr- crazy things to happen for that to be Kyle Pitts. But it is it is now that sort of price and talent uh, where you could get something like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Chris says, uh, "Why grab Pitts when you can take Everett?" Uh, I obviously that's somewhat sarcastic, but I think it's worth noting that Everett's role here is is pretty good uh 20 targets per route run close to a 10 a dot which is what we see with some of the top tight ends so you know he's not running all of the routes for his team but i think that when he's on the field um herbert is looking to him 
And he kind of looked, he like looks like a wide receiver out there. I don't know if I'm fooled by the fact he's wearing number seven this year, but when I see him catch the ball, I'm like, oh, that wide receiver looks good. Who is that? And then it's it's Gerald Everett. Um, he, he has some yak ability. So I, I like Everett just from the perspective that he's running enough routes and is on an explosive offense on a team that doesn't have like great secondary pass catchers. So I, I like, I certainly like Everett, um, certainly where he was going this summer. Now the price is caught up to that a little bit. He's he's going at pick 93 in the best hole resurrection. So, you know, I, I'm actually maybe going to backtrack a little bit on my take. At, at that price, I'm probably like looking towards other positions. Um, that's a little expensive, but I guess compared to where you drafted him this summer, you should be really happy about Everett. Um, given his role and performance so far. <clears throat> so would you, uh, would you take Everett over Hawkinson? I asked that as he scored, uh, scored 40 points last week. Yeah. I, I would take Hawkinson over Everett. I'm just a little bit more of a believer in the talent with Hawkinson with that draft capital. And he is, he has a bit of a stronger role, um, but I'm kind of, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm taking either at the nineties. There's just so many tight ends going later than that, that I'm comfortable with. If I'm not getting one of the lead guys, I'm probably just waiting and taking the Hayden Hurst, Evan Ingram, Tyler Conklin types, um, you know, five rounds later. Um, cool. I did watch Hayden Hurst uh, on Thursday night and he, you don't really see it here, but he, he kind of looks like a beast. Yeah. But he's out there, man. He's uh, got the red, red flow going uh, out there as well. Looks good. But he's definitely more of a tight end than a receiver. Yeah. Yeah, I think Hurst is good. I mean, like, it just goes back to the principle of, you know, get guys who have, like, full-time roles on good offenses. And even if they're not that good, they can can profit. Um, And I think... You know, Hurst hasn't been like this amazing smash, but I think you're definitely happy in sort of, as sort of like a tight end two in best ball that's gonna give you some some spikes there. I didn't have a ton else to hit on on the tight ends, Draco. I think maybe like something worth noting um, is that Albert O, who does show up here, his role has like been evaporated. He I think he got one snap last week, and Dulcich from the latest reporting, I think is due back this week. So I think, that's they, like, can, I think they can um, um, release him from IOR or whatever the right term is. Yeah. Um, activate him. Yeah. Activate him. Yeah. But I don't, it, I don't, I don't know if they, uh, if they're ready to play him yet, but uh, I definitely very interested in now in Dulcich at uh, pick two, two fourteen. Yeah, so I just looked into it. Dulcich apparently is not going to play Thursday, but he could. I think he's due back soon. So I'm right. probably adding. I'm trying to maybe add Dulcich for a dollar on teams where I need a tight end before like he gets hyped up. He could be. He could be nothing. He could not be good. But I think there's opportunity for him. They liked him in the preseason. They clearly don't like Alberto. So I'm. Uh, I'm looking at Dulcich for for cheap in some of these leagues. Last, let's say. And now for the next section. Join our Patreon. 
I don't yeah. love these special rewards. <laughs> so this is, yeah, if you want to see the uh, tight ends with 10 to 40% of routes run, that is actually behind the paywall. Um, people have been begging me to release that chart, but uh, that's, we got to make a living somehow. <laughs> that That's so good. So, uh, uh, Sam has uh, has held true to his word, and you uh, if you what the way we're gonna do this, you're gonna get my side of it for free. But if you want to hear Sam's side, you gotta pay up. Uh, no, actually, I believe uh, he messaged me just before this that uh, his laptop charger was acting funny, and that uh, he uh, he might die at any moment. And it appears that he picked the just the right amount uh, the right moment to uh for the, the battery to give out um so it so, looks like you're stuck with me for to take us home through the uh, the backup tight end uh portion um suppose really what we're looking for here is guys who when they do get on the field uh, can earn target share um it, it, it does seem like the Browns have been using uh, tight end a good bit. Hayden uh, Harrison Bryant looks like someone with solid contingent value there. Um, Johnny Smith, uh, if, if he can ever earn a bigger uh, snap share, as usual, someone who could be exciting. Um, but really, you were, I guess, uh, tight end, you were looking to kind of churn and uh, maybe take advantage of uh, of uh, playing time situations spiking kind of like when you can predict they happen. But that uh, that's gonna do us. Uh, I've lost the uh, I've lost the chart as Sam has dropped off the broadcast, and uh, we will see you. We'll see you next week.